I'm glad that everybody that's here is here. Uh, we have some of the protesters from Occupy Wall Street with us tonight, and we've been basically fielding uh, conversations and interviews with them all weekend long. Uh, the Collective Perspective has had a total of five reporters in the field this weekend, and we attempted a feed from the San Francisco chapter, but there was mic issues. The uh, There are a number of other chapters that we're going to be interviewing, but they are actually not quite off the ground yet. Philadelphia is going to get started on Tuesday. And if you're unfamiliar with the Occupy movement at this point, I suggest that you turn off the TV, and that will probably help things along. Um, we're going to go ahead and just and just try to get some some descriptions of what it is that they experienced, what their motive was for going to these protests, uh, and and where they see them heading, and and if there is any particular demand or uh, or central cause that they experienced as part of the Occupy movement. So let's start with uh, Caleb Bannis and Tegan Hartman. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for representing us, definitely representing me, uh, while you were in New York this weekend. So thank you. No problem. So can we start with the basics? I, I mean, what was the impetus? What got you and Tegan to say that you wanted to go to New York this weekend? Well, Caleb got me to go. Because usually I don't. Well, that's not true. I don't know. My my interest in it was mainly to learn and to experience it. And I know what I believe um, as far as what they're protesting. And I completely agree with it. So I figured, hey, why not go see what it's all about, see what we can do as a majority. And uh, I was kicking it on the internet as I typically do at work because I have nothing else to do um, and I've had a lot of financial hardships happening in my life right now and I just kept seeing all this stuff about the movement online on Facebook and I thought to myself well this certainly looks like a crunchy hippie party and then I looked up more information on it found out that it was in fact not a crunchy hippie party and that it seemed more relevant and more important than a lot of protests that I see on the internet and the more I researched and read about it the more I felt like this is something I have to go and be a part of yeah definitely and then I, yeah, I started looking for rides with everyone on Facebook and um, our friends Matthias and Don they were doing the same thing and yes, when Tegan said she might be interested in going, I kicked her away, and then we talked about going. Uh, Dave and Elsa, did you? Uh, did, were you aware of the Occupy movement? Yes. Yeah, we were. Have you been following it at all? Uh huh. Yeah, Definitely. actually, we have. Um, are you considering maybe joining the LA chapter? Um, I believe there is going to be one out here in Riverside which is about 15-20 uh, minutes away from us. So it's actually closer than Los Angeles. Mm. And um, it's, it's, I think tomorrow is the first day, if I recall. There, people are going to start gathering around um, the city hall area of um, Riverside. And Riverside is really well known for for kind of taking that initiative out here in the Inland Empire. I would say if anywhere, that's probably where it would start. Wouldn't you agree, Dave? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's a lot of student. It's a big student population. And they're area. fairly they're fairly proactive in getting involved with this kind of thing. So I'd expect to see. Um, I'd expect to see that there'd be some kind of a um, showing. Well, Caleb and Tegan, what kind of advice were you ha would you have for someone like Elsa and Dave who are going to be going to a rally for their first time? 
Um, well, it depends on if you're planning on staying there overnight. <laughs> yeah, it's big. <laughs> if you're planning on staying overnight, um, then make sure you are prepared, really. I mean, I felt like I was slightly underprepared because I was optimistic about the weather. We showed up in a very cold, pouring rain, and mm -hmm. conditions did not change a whole lot. Um, hmm. Which, where you're at, I doubt if it would be super cold, but... No, it's actually really wet. warm out here. Yeah, if you stay wet long enough, it still sucks, though, so... Um, if you're going to stay long, you know, bring the clothes and... Mm -hmm. uh, good shoes, water, like... I know in New York, donations are keeping everything afloat, so if you can donate food or water, bring that. They'll love it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, do you do you recommend taking children? Because we have two, we have a ten year old and a thirteen year old, and I think if we went, we'd really want them to be part of it. But we were discussing this the other night, and we weren't too sure about taking them. You know, just I because think that they would be like because they're that old. I think they would they would do just fine. Um, uh -huh. You know, like, obviously you just keep an eye on them during the actual march and make sure they don't get hurt, you know. Right. But, uh, as far as the atmosphere goes, it's, I mean, in, in New York, it's an incredibly diverse atmosphere and everybody is friendly and taking care of each other. Um, mm -hmm. The police we experienced, um, they weren't being violent or, or um, they, they, for the majority of them, they weren't being um they were being less absurd than I was planning on them being. Make sure that you know what the regulations are as far as shelters. Because when we got uh -huh. there last night, on Friday night, the cops came around and yelled at us for tying a tarp to a tree to make a shelter. So we uh -huh. basically had to make a makeshift shelter that was not freestanding. Right. We basically a plastic burrito. Yeah, pretty much. We laid a tarp over us to sleep on. Uh -huh. or to sleep there. Uh, James asked, he said, about bringing children, what do their kids think about it? Yeah, what do they yes. feel? Our oldest um, is quite interested in it because we keep her up on sort of the the, um, the issues and the, the, the causes that Anonymous has been sort of championing and, and the things they've been sort of fighting for. And my oldest daughter really enjoys it and really thinks that it's, a, in her words, awesome. I think it's just sort of about time. And um, the younger one is sort of, uh, it, it, it's going to be over her head. She has a high-functioning autism, and a lot of the stuff they're talking about is neither here nor there for her. But, but she does enjoy um, being in different settings where there's like people because she likes to watch and explore the interactions so we're hoping that she'll find like sort of a diverse range we wouldn't bring them without explaining especially with Madavia we wouldn't bring her without explaining um, exactly why we're there that'd be sort of pointless to bring her if she, if she didn't understand the, what we're doing with it oh yeah Uh, our reporter, Matthew, who is also the feature artist for an underground mainstream this month, uh, was in Wall, uh, at Wall Street on Friday night uh, from New Jersey, and he, uh, he was documenting a lot of things that were going on for use in a film. And one of the things that he noticed was there was a, an Egyptian woman that he was speaking with, and uh, she had, a, uh, she had a, her child with her, and when some police activity was going on that um, that would only be considered police brutality, she actually turned her child away to make sure she didn't see that. Uh, and the reason that she did so was, um, I, think, I think he said that her child was something like seven years old or something, um, and thought that would be a little too much for that young mind to understand and also didn't want the entirety of this new experience of being part of a movement didn't want her to think that violence had to be a part of that. And, you know, I can only 
I can only look at that and think that's kind of a wise thing to do. But I don't know, Dave, and also, uh, supposing, supposing the worst happens and there is some police brutality, how do you think you would handle that with having your kids there, and how do you think they would handle that? Right. That's, that, was, that was our big issue, was that, you know, will there be that violence that might strike up, um, not so much from the people, but from the police officers, you know, because, I mean, that just seems to be the case, or just from somebody who isn't there for the right reasons. So that's what kind of was weary to us about taking the girls because we didn't want something to happen where they would have to see that kind of violence. So we're still kind of, you know, we're still kind of on the fence about it. And I think if we did go, it may just end up being Dave and I. And um, coming back and talking to, to the girls about the experience, you know, Madhavi is very aware of what's going on. And I think part of her kind of gets excited about it because she sees that mom and dad talk about it a lot and and what we think about it and of course she's still young enough to to think that mom and dad are right and and that what mom and dad says it makes sense you know so it, it i think it may just end up being dave and i just because I, I, southern california in 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 uh, protests, always seem to get <laughs> a little out of hand. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I, I think from a safety standpoint, your children would be fine. But there is things. There are things like the wild cards that you can never really predict. You know, like the way the police will react, or that one guy that is not into being a peaceful protester. You know. Right. So Caleb and Tegan, what what do you think you were expecting, if anything, when you went up there this weekend? You want to go first, Hartman? Sure. Um, I was expecting probably about half the people to know why they were there and what they were protesting, and about half the people to just kind of treat it like a festival. And I was actually pretty surprised at the amount of people who did know why they were there and what was going on and and had valid suggestions to fix it. Um, I expected more police enforcement, um, which didn't really happen until the end. Um, Yeah, I guess that's pretty much it. Yeah, I agree with Tegan. That's pretty much what I went into it thinking as... um, I was surprised with the amount of dialogue that was happening in the camp yeah, prior definitely. to the march. Yeah. Uh, I, su- I was surprised by the organization. I was surprised by a lot of things. There, I was expecting it to be um, just a lot less organized, and I was expecting to kind of be disappointed by the people there, and I wasn't. Yeah, I was pretty impressed, actually, with how everything was going. Yeah. Incredible organizational skills for a movement that has no leaders. Everybody uh, that showed up, I think, just showed up knowing that they were going to have to help, and that's what we did. Now, when you went up there, uh, you joined a movement that initially started with about a thousand people, grew to about two thousand, and then the time that you were there, when you when you arrived, there was about five hundred, and then the next day, that quickly became five thousand. And so clearly there are a small number of people who are dedicated to actually occupying on a daily, nightly basis. And then there's pretty much, it seems like, the rest of society that supports this but really cannot let go of certain obligations so they show up for a day or however long they can be there. So who did you see as far as the demographics? Were you seeing the majority of the people that were there were young 20-somethings, were you also seeing uh, adults from from maybe your parents' generation? Describe the types of people that you saw there. 
Um, the the people that were actually occupying the camp were definitely like twenty somethings, and a, a lot of them seemed like the kind of like tour kids, like kids that just travel aimlessly and go to festivals. Um, not that they were all that, just that the general appearance um, of travelers. Um, but yeah, most of them were in their twenties, early thirties. Uh, as the day progressed into the march, you got a lot. The, the diversity grew a good bit, and we had um, teachers. Uh, there was a teacher teachers union showed up. Uh, iron workers. There was a, a construction worker from Boston that I talked to. Um, veterans, both homeless and and um, not homeless. Um, yeah, every every. Uh, nationality that you could think of um, there were people wearing suits there were people that um, just got off work um, there were people that just showed up after getting a latte and said what's this I mean and stayed you know when we were marching there were people that would come in from the other side of the street that were just watching that figured out what it was about and joined and us there's a lot of support from the businesses you said too yeah a lot of support from local businesses um, it was around midnight or one o'clock in the morning and we had all been we were all soaked and very cold and Matthias went out for something and there was a, a cafe had donated like something like 120 cups of tea and coffee um, so there's just tons of support from from all the businesses and even I don't the cops were there doing their job but even amongst the blue-collar cops we had support even though they were there for a different reason. It, it seemed like not all of them, but a bunch of them supported what we were doing. Yeah, there were a lot of cops that during the day they would just, they were smiling, they were talking to people, they came up and talked to them, they were just talking to each other and kind of hanging out, you know, prepared to do their job, but they weren't having a bad time. Um, when Tegan and I were leaving the incident on the bridge, after the march, the cop that had moved the gate they created back for us to pass actually smiled and said, good job, keep doing what you're doing. So, I mean, there's there's just support from everywhere for this. Yeah, the all-inclusive nature of it is very apparent with all of the people that and organizations that you had mentioned, as well as uh, pilots and uh, most recently, today actually, uh, it was reported that over 100 NYPD police officers have refused to go to work in solidarity with solidarity with the Occupy movement. That's wow! Awesome. I didn't know that. That's yeah. great. So it, it really is uh, an all-inclusive thing, and um, and uh, very much what seems to me to be uh, a movement that was inspired by uh, desperation, but also born out of love because from what I'm hearing from everyone of you that reported it seems like there really is a lot of love involved in the community that you're a part of when you go there is that not true absolutely true I didn't feel like we we're in the middle of New York City and there wasn't a single time that I felt threatened yeah we left our camp with all of our stuff there all day except for the backpacks that had our stuff we needed yeah, I mean, we were smart with our stuff. We took the, the important stuff with us, but, like, we had tarps and blankets and stuff that we just left behind, and they weren't bothered at all. Which would have been valuable yeah. at that point. Yeah, like, I, I didn't feel threatened at all, whatsoever. Everyone there was really supportive of each other and helpful to each other. Yeah, at one point, Matthias walked back to our pile of tarps and blankets that we had stuck under a table, um, and there was a guy sitting there wearing his jacket, and Matthias just said, hey, I just wanted to ask if you'll put that back when you're done with it. And sure enough, the guy put it exactly as we had left it. Nice. And he was done. You know? so, I mean, it's that kind of atmosphere. Um, there was a kid that uh, got hypothermia the morning after we were there because we weren't allowed to build any kind of shelters. Um, and he had been soaked and, and unable to do anything about it. And he looked uh, like the kind of kid that was on tour, you know, the kind of kid that was, he was probably a little underprepared, um, but he also probably had nowhere to really go. 
and you know, that's my assumption, of course. But um, as soon as it was apparent something was wrong with him, there was a large group of people helping him out, and then the police were helping, and the fire department came and took care of him. So, I mean, there's, yeah, everyone um, was making sure that everyone else was okay. No one was getting overlooked or, or left out. Now, you referenced for a minute there uh, about the bridge, and for anyone who may be listening to this that's unaware of, of what that really was, there was a period yesterday where... Uh, where the traffic of all of you was heading in a certain direction ended up on the Brooklyn Bridge and we now know that police were actually involved in um, whether it was subversive or it was uh, directly uh, directing you to the bridge the police were, were actually trying to get the crowd to go to the bridge so that they could trap you there and they ended up making uh, 700 arrests one of which was a 12 year old girl and you, all four of you, uh, Caleb, Tegan, Matthias, and Don, who had gone together, you were all on that bridge. Uh, describe what you saw when all of a sudden the, the human traffic was, was stopped, or was it quite that simple? Well, first, um, the 12-year-old girl that I think everyone is referring to, I saw a picture of her, and I actually, she was right behind me. Um, during the march, and I don't think that she was actually 12 years old. I think she was actually probably more like 18 or 19. Mm. She looks young in the photo because she's wearing um, like a kind of a childish hat, but uh, I saw her during the march, and if that's who they're referring to, I think she was a little bit, a little bit older, but yeah, as you can, you can take it for the... Okay. Uh, as far as the like, um, we, <clears throat> the march was going successfully. We got to the bridge. Tegan and I were about in the middle of the crowd, halfway between the front and the back. And you could not see either the front or the back, even if you stood up on a light pole. Um, as we got onto the bridge, there's a footpath and a road path and the road for cars. Um, by the time Tegan and I had gotten there, we had already been split up with Matthias and Don. They had gone ahead to videotape and such. Um, they ended up on the footpath. Tegan and I got to the split, and there were people saying, you know, go that way, go that way, or, you know, you can go that way. And we just kind of followed what looked like the majority of the crowd onto the bridge, onto the road portion of the bridge. Um, and the police stood there and let us go without a problem. And about halfway, about a quarter of the way, through the bridge, Deacon and I took it upon ourselves to grab onto the railing of the footpath and hoist ourselves up so Deacon could snap some shots of the crowd. Um, and you couldn't see the either end. Again, we were in the middle. You could not see either end. Um, and then after a minute or two, we jumped down back into the crowd. And very shortly thereafter, I'd say no more than five minutes uh, thereafter, Deacon and I suddenly found ourselves at the back of the march um, and there was a wall. There were there was a wall of police and paddy wagons and paddy wagons trailing us. Um, so the cops very obviously cut off the march, um, and we kept walking. People were starting to panic a little bit. Yeah, we really had nowhere to go. <laughs> yeah, people were just walking faster away from the police. People started and, climbing up the bridge to the pedestrian walk. And then we stopped <laughs> completely. Um, and everybody at the back was yelling march because nobody knew that there were police in front of us. And then, I don't know, 30 seconds after that, it became apparent that we were totally boned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they marched up, unrolled a net, um, netted us all in, basically. S some people started sitting down on the bridge and yelling, sit down, sit down, which Caleb and I didn't do. Um, and then they started arresting people towards the back. Um, after that, uh, it, 
they they uh, kind of corralled some of us off to one side. Uh, they were still picking a couple people out of the crowd, and we started being funneled away from the bridge back towards the city, back toward Manhattan. And Tegan and I were both under the impression that they were just kind of turning us around. Yeah, that they had let everyone go. We didn't find out until we got back to camp that that was not the case. That they they had only let... I don't know how many people, I would say it would be no more than a hundred people that they had actually let off the bridge towards the back, and I'm under the impression from some things that I've read that they let the back people go because they weren't able to hear the police in the front who had warned them not to take the driving lanes across the bridge. So the people in the back were kind of just following the crowd and they didn't know that they weren't supposed to be there and that they would be arrested if they were there. So I think, I'm under the impression that that's why they let us go. Yeah, that seems to make sense. Uh, the part that still doesn't quite make sense to me is if the police really were directing us onto the road just to trap us, why would they let any of us go? Um, and, uh, and, you know, I don't think it's beyond uh, the possibility that the protesters did just take it upon themselves, but I think that uh, there have been a lot of sources saying that that's not the case. Or a few, a few police officers took it upon themselves to let people go. And right, yeah. I mean, it might have just been a miscommunication with the police. Either way, um, it was a very, very conscious effort to trap us on that bridge. Um, and... I'm very thankful that Caleb and I stopped to take pictures because we were towards the front of the the line and when we stopped to take pictures it pushed us more towards the back so had we kept moving and not stopped we would have probably been arrested yeah we would have been one of the 700 or two of the 700 rather yeah um, but yeah then we got back to camp um, realized that everything had gone the direction of Fubar and um, try getting a hold of Don Matthias ASAP uh, Isaac as you know it turns out that they made it across the bridge into Brooklyn and then had the hassle of getting escorted by the police back over without getting arrested um, but yeah the rest of our time there after the bridge was just spent trying to make sure our friends were okay trying to figure out if there was a plan B after the bridge like if there was going to be another rally if there was going to be anything and there was a lot of heated debate going on in the park um, but mostly it was just information passing to make sure everyone knew that the police trapped everyone, um, everyone they could. So uh, shortly after that, it started raining again, and Tegan and I knew that we had to get back for some obligations that we each had today, as well as work during the week. So we opted to um, head out since things had seemed to have climaxed. And go back there as soon as possible. Yeah, we both plan on going back. Also, um, when we got to the bridge, the protest was split between the footpath and the roadway, and then the police had moved in and cut off the protesters from entering the bridge, so no more than, or I doubt if even half of the marchers actually got to the middle of the bridge where they were, where they officially pinned us. Um, they cut it off pretty quickly after we started going off, going up onto the, the bridge. And there really are, uh, there are almost institutionalized uh, games that are played now in situations like this. Uh, I think anyone that, has, that attends protests or supports protesters is aware that there are certain tactics one must use when dealing with police at a protest and uh, generally the way it seems to work is that for those people that got arrested they will spend maybe a night in jail and that there is an advocacy lawyer that can be called who um, helps them get through this revolving door process and, and all of you as protesters, tell me if I'm incorrect about this, but all of you had your, uh, you had a phone number written on your arm, and if one of you was arrested, you yelled out your name, and do you know much about what I'm 
talking about oh. here? Yeah. They, the lawyers actually, the lawyers guild actually came around and wrote in marker, wrote the phone number on our wrist. And I actually have your number, Isaac, on my wrist as well in marker. So did I, and so did Don, and so did Matthias. Because we were like, well, who would you want to help you in yeah. a time like this? Isaac Connor. So, and I would um, have. We all, we all had two numbers on our arms. Um, but yeah, you were supposed to yell out your name so they knew who was being taken. And um, if anybody, police or plainclothes police, started getting rough, you were supposed to immediately take a picture or shoot a video of them, of their face, so they could be identified. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. seeing that you were only there for a short time and we, were, we have yet to hear back from Matthias and Don, who I know are, are uh, trying to stay maintained in, in this media hub while they're there uh, the crowds obviously will have dispersed as of probably about now and it'll just be the people that are choosing to occupy Liberty Plaza if that's still uh, where the camps are this week a lot of the protests uh, are beginning in the other cities uh, Philadelphia is uh, starting on Tuesday and uh, Boston just started with a, uh, I think they had about 2,500, 3,000 people there. Yeah, I heard 3,000. So we're, we're, we also have uh, the D.C. protest starting on the 6th. So My Chicago have already started, right? Yeah, I'm waiting to hear from uh, uh, Roxanne with the Venus Project is actually uh, going to connect me with some Florida chapters. So, uh, but uh, what I'm what I want to know, I think, is where do you think the Wall Street chapter is going to end up in the next couple of weeks, um, or do you, do you can you really do you really think that you can even guess that at this point? Um, I don't see anybody giving up anytime soon. I mean, there's really no reason to. Uh, you know, if the weather continues to take a, a turn for the cold, then um, I know I, I personally uh, I'd be willing to get some warm supplies together and head up there. Maybe grab some extra sleeping bags bags for people. Um, but as far as the spirit goes, I don't see that slowing down at any point. Um, I mean, so far it's it's only gained momentum, so I, I don't see that really stopping at any point unless um, a serious overhaul in our our uh, political and economic systems start. I think that as long as they have support, even from people who aren't there, that it'll keep going pretty strong. Um, pretty much anything at this point, I think, is going to keep fueling it. The lack of media attention keeps fueling it. When we get media attention, it fuels it. Even if it's negative, it fuels it. So it's it's pretty much being fueled from all angles, I think. And yeah. as long as they feel the support and have the support and, you know, make donations. Um, I heard that people were making donations by credit card, like they were calling local businesses around there and buying food to be taken there, even if they couldn't be there themselves. Um, Someone ordered 50 pizzas yeah. for the camp. Um, for lunch. Yes. Yeah. Saturday. As long as the support is there, I think it'll. I think it'll stay strong. Yeah, I'd like to share uh, some of those. Uh, but the one, the one website is actually a direct donation, so I'd like to share that with everyone here, uh, and then also uh, share the the news about. Um, about why the police have been in such strong force up there. Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase actually donated $4.6 million to the NYPD in preparation for this for this movement. And uh, it appears they got their money's worth, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I read about that today as well, and that's uh, another really disturbing... Um, Another really disturbing thing that we're dealing with is it's hard to it's kind of hard to fight the corruption um, 
like it's it's easy to to talk about fighting the corruption, but actually having to to deal with it is is something it's, entirely different. Like they're not the cops; they they're not screwing around. It's you know? hard to fight corruption with corrupt with when there is corruption still going. Yeah, I guess. Like it'd be easy to clean it out if the police were just doing their jobs. Like, you know, it'd be easy to stop that. But the fact that they now feel indebted to the financial district is that's that's one more pressure to push police into um, more drastic action, and um, I, I guess more pressure for protesters just to make sure they don't give them a reason to do that. But um, between police and protesters, there's already a it's already a pretty volatile situation, and this just kind of makes it a little bit more dangerous for everyone, if you, in my opinion. Well, you know, also the uh, the Occupy movement, the Occupy movement um, has does have a list of demands, but there are quite a few out there. And uh, Adbusters magazine started a number of movements. Um, uh, there were a number of demands or demand sheets that were. Let me try to find what I what I have here from Matthias. Tegan's got it, the same one on her phone. Okay, so Adbusters Magazine, they started a number of movements. Uh, one of my favorites is actually Buy Nothing Day, which is generally on Black Friday. And they also started this one, uh, trying to make everyone aware that Adbusters Culture Jammers were going to get mobilized at Wall Street on September 17th. Didn't take long for, for uh, groups like Anonymous, as they've mentioned, to get involved. And... Uh, uh, but some of the demands that have been floating around, Tegan, you said you have that list. Could you read those off? Yeah. Um, no third-party debt. Uh, that's number one. Number two, caps on profit margins and bonuses for banks, plus totally transparent reporting. Three, no Federal Reserve Bank, no paying interest on our own money. Four, no personal income tax, as per the U.S. Constitution. Five, no corporate donations to campaigns. Six, conflict of interest laws in effect that prevent things like Vice President Dick Cheney's money profit in the war. Seven, no political interest groups on Capitol Hill. No dinners, gifts, trips, and no taking a job at any corporations that were benefactors of laws passed for a minimum of five years after leaving office. Eight, judicial reform. Nine, socialized natural resources through commodities. Uh, ten harsh penalties on news metal, on news media who blatantly censor. So yeah, those are the the top ten. Yeah, um, that's the list of ten demands. There are ten demands that I definitely agree with wholeheartedly. Um, there were a, a lot. There was a lot of discussion happening that place. So there's a lot of other ideas happening, um, but as I keep telling people, I think that. Those ten ideas um, and the movement in general are simply a starting point. You know, it's going to take a lot more than people protesting and talking, and a lot longer than a year or two to make any kind of reform to a system that has been um, well cancerous for the past 130 years. I was talking with Leanne earlier today, who is uh, very, very much under the weather, and uh, for anyone that's a regular part of the Collective Perspective, she's usually on here for every single recording, but she was, uh, she very much wants to get uh, our website under the Take Action section. She wants to try to get together something like uh, an Occupy Wall Street manifesto for the layman so that people can can begin to actually take actions that are in support of this movement and will begin to to uh, actually make these ideas come to life such as there is the move your money project and if we were to perhaps get a manifesto together that said if only half the people that 
uh, are currently have their money in big banks would move them to a federal, or um, sorry, move them to a, a credit union, a localized credit union. Uh, this that would impact the stocks for uh, X Y Z companies in a certain way, and not just with moving your money from big banks. There's a number of ways that we can support this movement and actually take actions so that we are literally with our our bodies and and with our actions taking energy away from institutions that are not serving us. So uh, I'd like to see some of those demands. Uh, shifted towards Leanne and anyone else that wants to help get a little manifesto together so that we can change things. I think that's an awesome idea. That's really great. And that, to be able to pass out something like that would be, I think, amazing. I yeah, think especially it would, the protests. Yeah, I, I think it would actually give a lot more credibility, too, to a lot of the ideas that we have, like a, a plan of action. Right, it, I, um, just buying local I mean that's a, that would be a big step you yeah. know and not buying things like 60 inch televisions like you know none of that none of that is made in America you're not helping American workers you don't need one um, I think that if people are they put less energy into material possessions that'll help drive stocks involved in making material, material possessions down as well. You know, I mean, everybody wants to own something nice. Everyone wants to have their comforts. You know, we're in, a, we're in a country that is based on comfort at this point in time. Um, I mean, even people that are not wealthy are still, you know, they'll have brand new kicks and a brand new TV for the most part. You know, we're, we've got a lot of, yeah, we've got a lot of, um, a lot of people that really need need prompting to physically help help with that. And Lena was talking. Lena and I were talking earlier, and she made a lot of really good points about that. Yeah, I'll gladly help her with some of it. And I think a, a really important thing is that, like, I've been talking to a lot when I was talking to a lot of people at the protest. Like, I think the vagueness of some of the demands and the fact that there are just so many things that. Um, the American people want from our government and from these corporations. Like, I think if we make that into too much of a finite point, it'll kill the movement. I think the fact that they don't have the ability to uh, pacify um, the people on this, I think that is what gives this movement strength. If we're not because we're not asking for one thing. I mean, I, like we definitely need to ask for things. But I think that, you know, why stop at 10? You know, why not, you know, why not have a 20-page a manifesto if, if we could have enough solid ideas that enough people believe in? But uh, 10 is definitely a good place to start. The 10 they have, I think, is a good place to start. You know, I just, um, I worry that, I, I, I'm worried to see what happens when we start working at these finite points only because that's the point at which um, corporations and the government can loophole things and start screwing people uh, with the fine print, which is how we got this far in the first place. Well, you know, Caleb, you were referencing uh, comfort in this country, and uh, there's almost a... The, the American dream is almost a myth now. For a lot of people and it's still hard I think for a lot of people to to let go of the idea that if they if they see wealthy people enjoying the finer things even if they're in, in virtual you know squalor um, that they can get there too and that can and should be the case and I definitely am one that promotes uh, life is uh, 10% what happens to you and 90% what you do with that. But the idea that we can all have uh, a comfortable life if we, you know, quote, play by the rules and and do all the things that the citizens are supposed to do, um, it's, it's just not realistic anymore. And the middle class has been 
squished and uh, it's harder and harder for people to make a decent living um, just statistically from 1970 to 2000 productivity among American workers more than doubled but our wages went down and meanwhile the wealthiest people have rigged the system to their advantage so here's my question for you with, with regard to comfort you have people out there who are still subscribing to this what I would call a fiction that they can achieve the same level of wealth and success and happiness these same people are going to be the most uh, virulently opposed to the Occupy movement and I'm not sure if you've come across them already or seen any of their posts or whatnot but there are definitely those out there that are really uncomfortable with the idea that lots of people want to restructure society as we know it. Um, have you seen that? Have you, have you been a part of any conversations like that? And whether you have or not, uh, what would you say to those people? I've seen that. Um, and what I would say to those people is that they, um, they're afraid of the change part. Um, yeah, they're they're afraid of the change. They're not afraid of. I mean, they might not necessarily be afraid of standing up for themselves. They might not be afraid of. Um, they might not be afraid of a corporation or the government in particular. But they just don't want things to change because it means that they're going to have to work. And uh, to you know, keep pointing at this book that. We were just talking about when we got on here with you called Who Moved My Cheese? <laughs> and, um, yeah, I'll let Tegan explain that in a minute. Um, when I was referring to comforts, uh, the conversation Lena and I were having earlier is we were, we're both... We, we're, like, I'm in a position where I'm on food stamps. Um, sometimes I sell those food stamps or some of those food stamps, which is illegal for money because I need more money um, and we we have Lena and I have a, a mutual acquaintance that is trying to get disability um, for depression essentially and that sort of thing kind of pisses both of us off uh, and also things like seeing someone on welfare with hundred dollar sneakers and a brand new TV, driving a fancy car. With an like, iPhone. Yeah, with an iPhone. Like. What are your priorities? That's what I mean about comfort. You don't need those things to survive. It's just kind of what we've been led to believe that we should have. And it's as simple as that. And it's right. those things that don't really matter in your life. Right. I feel like there's an overall unappreciation of what we do have. And that really, I think, is what needs to be looked at as a whole. And um, for me, like, yeah, I, I agree with Lena, like, um, I think that everyone, like, no one should be screwed out of the basic needs. We have enough resources in this country that there are certain things that aren't basic needs that we should be able to spread the wealth and, and make happen, like a decent education for everyone or an advanced education for everyone. There's no reason with the wealth in this country why everyone shouldn't be able to go to college at minimal cost and why the colleges shouldn't be exceptional colleges, every single one of them. There's no reason why we can't do that. There's really no reason to have to pay for electricity at this point. We have enough wealth in this country, it should be able to be spread out. Word. But things like an iPhone and a brand new TV. We use so much of it too. Yeah. Those, wasteful. Yeah. The, well, things like that, I mean, like, that's shit you just you should have to work for. If you're on welfare, you should not be getting so welfare that you have the luxury of having those things. You know. If you're disabled, that's one thing. But if you're only getting welfare because you're not working, you know, that's a different people should be prompted to work for what they want, not what they need, but what they want. You know. I think that's kind of where Lena and I were both coming from on that. Anyway, I, before we move on from anything else, I really want Tegan to explain who moved my cheese, because it's, it, 
Yeah. Well, my boss gave it to me because I was complaining the other day about a change we made in the system of how we do things, which wasn't a major change. And really, I shouldn't have been complaining. But she gave me this book to read called Who Moved My Cheese? And it is about two mice and two little people in a maze. And the mice run off of instinct. The little people run off of being intellectual, being able to think. Um, when they find a big supply of cheese, they move closer to it. When the cheese is gone, the mice move on and the people are left to complain and whine. And they go, they end up going hungry and getting angry and basically doing what people do when faced with change or lack of resources. Instead of moving on to other things, they kind of just focus on what they lost. And the mice went on to find more cheese. And the, the mice did go on to find more cheese. So what I'm saying about who moved my cheese But I'm only halfway through it, so... The, the people that are afraid of changing the system just need to understand that their cheese has been moved. And they will do much better if they go looking for that cheese than <laughs> complaining about the cheese being moved. Well, yeah, some of the things that you've mentioned, um, you know, we are the last civilized, uh, I guess you can use that term a little bit loosely at this point, uh, but the last civilized country in the world to not have a universal health care program, to not grant uh, uh, schooling to, to everyone because uh, all of us knowing more, being smarter, generally positively affects everything, including the workforce. We're uh, an exceptionally country because of that, I should I'd like to point out. Right exceptionally there. what? exceptionally dumb country because of that when you compare us to Japan. And oh, absolutely. And, you know, when because of what the uh, the current um, I don't know, the, the current political landscape is based on a fallacy, in my opinion, which is that people are simply one of two extreme ways and uh, and I, I just think that that's kind of ludicrous, but I can only say that um, because I don't subscribe to that. But there are a lot of people who have spent a lifetime involved with one side or the other, so it's been become ingrained. And those who are on one of those sides uh, seem, seem to watch TV for their news, and they watch Fox in particular. So... You know, to some of us that don't watch Fox because um, because we like comedy to be called comedy, not to be called news, um, <laughs> um, it's it seems like the people that that watch Fox are continually getting brainwashed. But I lately have been thinking that perhaps they watch it because they're they're getting a message reinforced that they already believe in, and um, that's that's a tough nut to crack to say that there are people that do genuinely uh, have a distrust of, um, you know, of a, of a president because he's black or because he has a D next to his name as opposed to because he's a mass murderer um, that's killing Americans based on words um, and because he feels like it. And... Um, that's got the largest national def uh, defense budget of any president in history and is arguably the most pro-war pro president we've ever had. Um, none of that matters because Fox said he's a socialist. And the things that we're talking about, about nationalizing health care and education, um, really make people that I'm talking about now uneasy. And I think it's a misunderstanding of what socialism means and what democracy means, because to have a, a true thriving democracy, one would have to have elements um, of lots of different types of, uh, of organized society. And we don't seem to have a problem with firefighters uh, being a socialized part of society. And we seem to think that it's a good idea that if your house is on fire, someone just shows up as opposed to other ways um, that, uh, that have been used where you have to have a certain uh, symbol on your house and then you, these people will come 
put out your fire because you've been giving them money, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know. I, I, I guess what I'm asking is like those of us that are that are level-headed, that want to find constructive ways to improve our society and want to have certain things socialized, uh, how do we how do we continue this movement, this Occupy movement, towards that positive end without, without having a certain segment of our population automatically put themselves in a, in a counter position to that? How do we bring them along? How do we make them understand that this is about them too? Well, I mean, the first, uh, first thing I would like to point out is the illusion that we're a democracy. America's never been a democracy, not once. Um, we're a representative republic. And I think that um, while I, I personally believe in um, a lot about the way the country was set up, um, I would like to see communities operate on a smaller level so we can um, so the programs that we do socialize can be made, can be done so effectively. I would like to see um, more things run uh, on like the same structure. Like each state gets the same the same basic laws to govern these socialized principles, so that each state is doing the same thing. But then leave it up to the state to enforce and mandate that, and let the federal government exist for. You know, solely for the protection of the people and um, just making sure that interstate um, dialogues are going on, you know, just kind of making sure that everyone, all the states are doing their jobs. I, think I would like to see something delegated more like that, um, which still, again, wouldn't be a democracy, but it would be closer to one than what we have now. Um, And as far as getting people that, like, as, as far as people getting, um, getting people to listen that are really into the, the Fox News segment, I think um, non-threatening conversation one-on-one -on -one is the only way to do that, and that, that's really hard to do, um, unless some miracle happens where Fox News stops being biased, then... Uh, you know, they're, they're, I don't think there's a way to, to reach them en masse unless you focus on something completely different. But that would be kind of, you know, unless you focus on something like just shooting them slogans like, this is for the working class, this is for you. you I'm, I'm challenged with the Fox News crowd on a daily basis at work um, and with my family. But... Uh, Mainly my, when it, when it comes down to it, I can debate with them, um, but I've found myself more than anything lately saying, I guess it just depends on where you get your information from. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, those people, those types of people I think have um, based their lives on having so little information for so long that unless you give them that information in small amounts with different titles I don't I don't think you stand I don't think we stand a chance of getting um, people like that to listen and it um, it's almost it almost feels deceptive to do that to somebody to, to have to change the name of something. Um, because it's socialized, you know, to have to say, you know, to have to say something like um, universal healthcare, as opposed to socialized healthcare, you know, um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, I don't really have a, a good answer for that, I don't think. I guess everyone has triggers like that, language triggers. Yeah. Um. You do have to be kind of sensitive to that in, in general, but, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Well, I think that some of that um, is less, has less to do with being dishonest and, and more to do with kind of what Tegan's talking about and just having more compassion for the person that you're, you're talking with 
so that they can hear you in the way that you mean. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Having, having dated women before, I've, I've had to learn to do that. So I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> really wish I were, <laughs> that we were up in New York right now. Like I, like I knew I, I knew that I needed to come back and just coming back here to do um, adult life stuff is just, it feels like it is against everything that I need to be doing right now, you know? Like, I, I really feel like, like this is the most important thing on earth. Why am I doing anything else right now? Um, even at band practice today, I was like, man, I love playing music, but seriously, this is not important right now, <laughs> you know? And that's pretty, that's saying, you know, you know me, that's, that's saying something. Yeah. Well, everybody's doing what they can. You know, I, I, I very much wish that I could have been up there in New York with you guys, uh, but I felt, uh, um, what it really came down to is I, I felt like the best thing I could do for the movement at this point was just be the media. And so that's what I chose to do. Uh, and I think that's what I, agree. I, think, I think what you're doing is, is, is definitely what's needed. I agree too. Absolutely. So yeah, we're all just doing what we can. Well, I, I, I love you in general, but, but I especially uh, um, just want to send a lot of love your, to you guys for, for what you've done, for representing so well. So uh, I, I can't thank you enough. Thanks, Heather. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Love you. Yeah. I love you too. <laughs>